the Be There in Five podcast. I am Kate Kennedy, born in California, raised in Virginia, marketing major, leadership and social change minor, if you can believe that exists, former director of market research and advertising effectiveness, then turned black belt, then turned accidental entrepreneur due to the invention of the remind doormat, then turned part-time maker, crafter, artist, business coach, pop culture <laughs> culture commentator, then turned pop culture podcaster, and last, but certainly not least, author of a new book called Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, an internet fairy tale of fame, fortune, and followers. Well, that was the publisher's uh, preferred subtitle. Mine was a nursery rhyme for the digital age. Mine is on the back. Theirs is on the front. If you want a metaphor for how this whole thing goes when you publish, I'm just kidding. My publisher's amazing. They got this out in 10 months. It's unheard of. And I start introducing myself this way because, you know, any any casual conversation I enter into where somebody asks me what I do, I always lie. Well, lie is harsh. I, I, I either understate it or summarize it in a way that's not necessarily a realistic interpretation. I've learned that if I say entrepreneur, people ask more questions, which is great, but then I feel like I end up monopolizing the conversation. But even beyond that, what I hate and get so self-conscious of is when somebody doesn't get it or they're like, oh, cute, Nancy shop, do you knit? And I'm like, your mom's cute. Have you ever channeled Kelly Clarkson and taken a, a risk, take a chance, make a change? Have you ever broken away from your cute mom? I don't think so. I'm just kidding. Not everybody that asks these questions is ill-intentioned, if that's a word. Um, But I'm so incredibly self-conscious of doing so many things and those things being incredibly disjointed from one another. And to quote Taylor Swift about her album Red Not Winning, the Grammys, it, it, it doesn't sound sonically cohesive, nor is it practically cohesive, but... This um, self-consciousness used to feel more paralyzing to me last year, earlier this year. I think that, like, uh, I really struggled with, you know, I went to school for business and marketing. I built up this career and this equity at this corporate job that I really liked and that they liked me. And I, you know, wasn't creatively fulfilled, but I don't really think your job has to be absolutely checking every box. I think we find what we need in different facets of our life. I, I, for one, think if you are looking for your job to give you too much interior satisfaction, you're looking in the wrong place because inevitably when you're not on your own time, you're going to start to resent some element of it. So if your job is your absolute everything, it will impact your mental state more negatively than it does positively. You need other sources of 
of joy, of feelings of progress and success, of getting that reassurance or affirmation that your job provides you about your place or context in this world or relative to other people. But anyway, I, you just, you think that your life will play out a certain way. And I don't think you'll meet anybody that says it does. And I don't think you'll meet anybody that says it doesn't turn out for the better. And there are times when I do and don't believe this, but in my more lucid moments, and especially through recounting this whole experience through the how I built this series, I, I, like, I just need you guys to believe me when I say that these smallest efforts, micro efforts yield macro results, and they're not immediate, and they're not always tangible, and you, you can't always see them, but it doesn't mean they aren't there. And I spent the past four years feeling so uncomfortable about the pivot in my career and how doormats had nothing to do with marketing or nothing to do with business process improvement. And then when I kind of like went into doing other artwork and crafts and coaching and whatnot, I was like, who am I? I have no right to be doing this. Like, yeah, I know how to run my business, but could I tell you how to run yours? And then when I started this podcast, I was like, nobody's going to listen. Nobody cares. Like, who am I? I'm not on E! News. Um, and I sit here now as an author, which is something I've always wanted to be doing. And I like my instinct is to tell you, like, I don't know, it's fine. It's not that good. Like, I'm not sure, you know, read it if you want. Don't, you know, don't if you whatever. It's cool. It's cool. I don't care. Um, but I need to start speaking more confidently about my own accomplishments. You need to start speaking more confidently about your own accomplishments. And if there's one thing I need anybody to take from this whole story, and this is why I want to start with it, because if you don't get through it, and if you haven't listened to the others, and I'm sorry if I repeat myself a bit, but there's just some things that I really feel like are important, especially if you're listening to this because you're thinking about doing something new or need some motivation. You're never going to wake up one day and magically feel incredibly confident about something new, about a risk you're about to take, about a change you're about to make. I notice a lot of people seem to think that one day they'll wake up and want everything to be different. They'll feel motivated. They'll feel like they're good enough. They feel like, you know, from some abstract authority, they, they've been given permission. And I'm just telling you that's never going to happen. There are some days when I think you feel more confident than others. There are some days when you just are in more of a flow than others. But inherently, in anything you do, that really could be something. There is a level of discomfort you have to be comfortable with. Because even though you think that discomfort is coming from a place of what if this doesn't work, I think there's a small part of you thinking, well, what if it does? And I think, you know, call it superstitious, call it conservative, call it practical. People always argue for their own limitations by default. You tell yourself all the reasons something won't work for no other reason than you're coming from a place of fear. And I know I've said it once and I'll say it again. You have to come from a place of curiosity and not fear if you really want to make a change in your career, in your life, in your relationships, whatever. The curiosity of what if it could work has to be greater than the fear of what if it doesn't. And you have to accept that there's never going to be a magic moment where you wake up and you're completely confident, you know you can do it, and it just seems like a no-brainer. 
get rid of that entirely. It's not going to happen. What I'm telling you, as a my own testament from hopping from a very corporate career to a very creative career to a very difficult entrepreneurial small business wholesale combo situation that I didn't even necessarily want to be in to coaching to pop culture commentary to podcasting to this book none of this makes any sense it doesn't it, it they, they're not it's not a typical linear career path and I've spent a really long time feeling incredibly self-conscious about the lack of tangible success I've experienced from going after the things that have no common denominator other than just being things I really like and talking to you today, I don't even have anything that tangible to tell you. I, I'm not sitting on a pile of money. I'm not sitting on a pile of accolades. I, I'm not sitting on a giant following that I can leverage and monetize. I, I, but I am sitting on unequivocal proof that you don't need permission. You don't need a degree. You don't need professional experience. You don't need the empty reassurance from other people. You don't need your spouse to understand it. You don't need money. You don't need a lot of resources. You don't need a lot of connections. You need an, a sincere, natural interest in what you're doing. You need an incredible level of commitment to your ideas, despite what other people say around you, but need the business savvy to understand when the well-intentioned feedback of people that actually are in your target market are telling you something that does need to be changed or is a problem. I encourage a level of commitment and a blocking out of noise to a degree, but I do think there's a fine line between confidence and delusion, and you do need to check yourself. I should caveat. But anyway, I feel like my story is a, is a testament to the two things you can't control as much, which are a little bit of talent and a little bit of luck. But as I've said before, and I wish I knew who said this because I think it's incredibly helpful, is that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. But if you have the interest and you have the talent and or you balance that with your work ethic and you understand that if it's something that you take seriously, it can become something seriously impactful, whether just to you or whether to other people, that's what you need. It's not about all of the things going on around us that we accuse of holding us back from being where we want to be. It's about our in internal commitment to what we want, to what we know is good, to what we know we're capable of, and being unwavering in that conviction. And all of the environmental things we deal with on a daily basis are fighting so hard every day to talk you out of your hopes and dreams. And I tell you that what may seem like a confusing <laughs> series of advice is basically that I want people to understand that they don't need permission to do what they want to be doing while simultaneously understanding that it is a process and an evolution that you yourself cannot orchestrate at the level of detail you probably would like to. The only thing that will get you to where you want to be is the tiny, insignificant, thankless efforts day in and day out that are adjacent to what you want to be doing and trusting that honest effort gets you there, trusting that consistency gets you there, trusting that taking risks, chances, and not talking yourself out of things gets you there. And when you have those moments where you can put, where you can piece things together, it almost blows your mind because without my corporate experience and my marketing background, I wouldn't have known how 
to write a really good proposal, how to do a competitive and a market analysis, how to package something together in a way that's professional, appealing, and grounded in data. Without my entrepreneurial experience, I wouldn't have, A, the balls to just do things that I know nothing about and have no experience in because I've spent the past four years just piecing together what I can find on Google about every discipline that I need to perform the function of within my business. Without the doormat company, I wouldn't have this Instagram following that wasn't very engaged, but that I was able to find engagement within once I pivoted and started shifting the topic back to things I actually wanted to be talking about besides just small business and doormats. And in having those conversations with people just on Instagram, on the thing people are right off the most about life is being so unproductive and stupid on Instagram, that the dialogue I was having with you guys about influencers and social media and our pet peeves and the way it's used and uh, me realizing that far more prevalent than the actual influencers running the world are the one, those of us messaging our friends behind their backs being like, what the hell is this? I, I, I realized that Even the influencers themselves are those people saying, what the hell is this? Because we're all just trying to find our way. And in having those conversations and building a podcast and getting an audience of my own outside of a social network that can make an audience seem so fleeting and temporary, I was able to foster a level of engagement with you guys that made a publisher take a chance on a first-time author that didn't have a literary agent that had no experience, but that promised that they had an idea that had enough feedback from their target market that was relevant and that had the natural talent of rhyming just from life, that had the marketing expertise of knowing that this idea would land and there was demand in the marketplace, and I provided a proposal to back it up, and that had the confidence that each weird thing I've done that was less connected to the thing I did last worked because I could show I had an understanding of the marketplace. I had an understanding of my customer. I had an understanding of how you market a product. And I had an understanding of how I can use my own talent and creativity to not necessarily put out the product that is the most deeply and personally meaningful for me, but that is the most commercially viable to get my foot in the door to then continue to pursue other creative ideas. These are the things that got me in the door of a publishing house. It is not just my talent. It is not just my platform. All of these tiny things had to come together and had to result in something much greater than I could have even planned. Because if I could, it was up to me what I have planned this roller coaster, uh, this jungle gym, this corn maze at times of a career path. Absolutely not. Would I take it back? Absolutely not. Everything you're doing is important every day. Every small effort could be leading you somewhere in a day, in a week, in a year that you don't even know. And that's why it's so important to to harness your ideas and your moments of creative flow and your trust in yourself that you're building towards something great. If, if, If being embarrassed is the worst that could happen, this is a pretty damn great situation. And that is well, that is where I'll start off with the rest of this story. But I guess I always want to start with like the more uh, motivational piece, because I think that sometimes your individual story is less interesting to people uh, in the overarching concept more so what's important because if you can't relate to the detail of my story I want you to relate to it in summation I want you to relate to consuming 
feelings of imposter syndrome in real time, but pushing through it anyway, because you're never going to get rid of that if you're a person who's in the least bit self-aware or self-conscious or cares what other people think. And that's not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing to care what other people think. It's a bad thing when you can't discern between what is relevant advice versus what it is advice just designed to protect you, to mitigate risk, to make it easier on the person giving the advice and the person receiving it. There's different places people come from when they're trying to help you, and it's up to you to figure out when it is and is not in your best interest. So please, 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 for the love of God, whatever it is, show up to do it. Accept that you're going to be uncomfortable. Accept that it's not going to be easy, nor should it be, because then you'll never really appreciate it or really have the grit to maintain it. Let yourself do a lot of things that don't make sense. Let yourself be embarrassed. Let yourself feel like, what the hell is the point? Let yourself accept that conflict and resistance is a huge, huge part of anyone's story about what made them ultimately change. And that when those things happen, you're getting that much closer to where you want to be. That when you're uncomfortable and you're sick to your stomach, when you can't sleep because you're so anxious about something working, that it's not necessarily an anxiety disorder that you need to be constantly resisting and pushing back to. Sometimes you lean into it. Sometimes you use it for flow. Sometimes you ride the wave and realize, when I am so sick because I care about something so deeply, that's when I know I'm onto something. And we spend so much of our lives trying to avoid discomfort and avoid failure and avoid all these things to make ourselves appear more stable and successful than we really are for what? So other people who never think about anybody but themselves in passing can be like, cool, she's doing well. It doesn't matter. And I'm not speaking to this as if I'm successful. Again, I don't even know if this book's going to sell well. I don't even know if I'll have the privilege of writing another one. Sometimes I just have to accept that it happened. And that is enough because I wanted this to happen. And I have to let myself be excited about it and let myself not feel guilty about over-promoting it and let myself just get lost in the idea of what if in some, some, how, some way, and at some point, this takes off and becomes something that I can actually live off of and make into a career. So it's hard to remember where I left off last, but I really just got kind of obsessed with this idea of writing my way out of uh, really the way I think about it is when you're at a low point and you're really struggling, you want to go home. You want to curl up in bed and eat butter noodles and drink chocolate milk and have your mom scratch your back and it just transcend to a simpler time when everything you did was pure when everything you did didn't need to have an outcome or agenda, didn't need an audience, when everything you did, you did just because you liked it. And there's something about that need for me to kind of revert back to being somewhat of a child when I'm feeling really low, and maybe it's the youngest child in me. But those feelings kind of force me into my comfort zone. They, they forced me to want to go home. And like I said in my last podcast, by home, I mean the, the place you go to in your head and your heart where you feel comfortable, where you know uh, under your own roof, by your own standards that you're talented, where you're free of judgment. 
and you are freed from the incessant need to that everything you do needs to have purpose. There was a time in your life where you just did things because you liked them, (laughs) where exploration felt safe. And I think that's for me, that's why I so often when I'm blocked or, you know, need to process feelings or whatever it may be, I, I so often write or write poems or just will start projects or essays or things that like I never submit, will never go anywhere. But I always find that in these moments where I'm I'm writing from a pure place of just wanting to write, that I'll go back and these are like my best ideas and the best things I've ever written because something about, and I don't know if this applies to everybody, but a, a lack of agenda enables me to flourish. And that's why I so often want people to want to run their own business, to do it as a side hustle first, because I think so much greatness comes from a time constraint and comes from a desire to quit your other job and comes from the fact that you don't need it to work, that you have income to fall back on. My entire business changed, not for the better, when it became something I needed to live off of. And I know that's not the case with everybody, but it certainly affected how uh, openly I was able to approach it instead of conservatively just trying things that I hoped would, you know, yield income. But anyway, as I'm sure you've heard me explain in different places, I honestly... This was last November. Um, I really, I had probably been talking on Insta stories for like, I don't know, two or three months. I think the one that like really highly engaged me with people was probably like talking about American Girl Dolls or maybe like my salt gift guide, which is so dumb. These are just Insta stories. But like I had hundreds of messages from those, which is so weird to me. And that's what made me be like, geez, like, there's some things that really resonate with people. And I noticed when I would like talk about influencers and social media and my pet peeves and stuff that like people really seem to identify with it. So what's weird, and this is like the longer story that like I won't say in interviews because it doesn't really matter. Um, I had written another children's book that was it was kind of a parody, but it actually kind of was also for children. It was kind of that like Amelia Bedelia style like how uh, from the eyes of a child, things can be taken very literally, but to adults, they're funny. And um, anyway, I'll just tell you what it is, because I, I don't know if it'll ever be anything. And if you steal it, you're a monster. But if I say it uh, in this forum, it's technically my public copyright. So uh, it was called Why Is Mommy Always Late? And it was a book that was kind of trying to appeal to meme culture, because what I found through Be There in Five is that People want an, a product or an item that they see and they're like, this is so me. This is so my sister. This is so my mom. This is so somebody. And my mats were a lot less functional than they were just like a funny gift people gave pe- uh, their friends or their family. And I, to, in order to get into the marketplace, you, you kind of like need a hook. Like I couldn't just come out writing Eucalyptus, that spelling bee book I wanted to write. It needed to be something like relevant to the times that in a gift shop people would see and think like, oh, that's funny. That's so XYZ. So it was a poem slash book called Why Is Mommy Always Late? And it was my way of trying to make it be there in five adjacent because be there in five like kind of worked as a concept. And I thought it would be funny for people that tend to run behind because I think there's like a segment of the population that feels um, 
level of relatability and subsequent relief to when they see other people have the same shortcomings they do. And it was it was a cute poem. It was like, no matter the time or place or date, my mommy always says she's late, late for school, for work, a game or a meeting, late for the breakfast, lunch or dinner we're eating, late for the doctor, a party or a trip to the grocery store. If she hates working out, why does she run out the door? Some days we're on time and mommy looks so pleased until I hear those four words, where are my keys? And then when she finds them, I know magic's in the air because they appear in her pocket when she looked everywhere. And um, it, it's kind of like this cute poem about how a child views all the weird things his mom does when she's running late in a very literal fashion and um it was kind of gonna have like a broader message about you know the importance of being on time but how from the mom's perspective the reason she's always like going so crazy is because she's doing everything in her power to make her kid happy and it was just kind of how like i saw myself as a mom how I saw myself never changing. This was kind of something I wrote feeling anxious about having kids, and I still do. Um, I'm not having kids yet, but, like, I don't know. Again, I just write when I have feelings. And I wrote this, like, I don't know, uh, probably last June or July um, when I kind of first started toying with the idea of children's books. Um, And it kind of came full circle and was like, at the end, you know, after there's all these funny lines about the things the mom does, the at the end, the kid is like asking the mom, like, why are you always late? And then she's like, she laughs and says, to be honest, I didn't realize you could tell the time. And sometimes in trying to get ahead, mommy gets a little behind. I'm late because I was up all night making clothes for a recital. And I love to order pizza because it makes you kiddos smile. I tell my friends we've already left so they don't text me while I drive. And just like you need milk, mom needs her Starbucks to survive. And, and she kind of like explains all these little quirks she has as just kind of being like things she's doing to honestly, you know, act in the best interest of the child. And um, anyway, so I had written that in the summer and I had spent about a week when I was trying to be like, OK, like what else could I be doing? How could I write for a career? How could I make this commercial? And I spent about a week just researching publishing and self-publishing versus regular publishing. And I, you know, wrote what I thought looked to be a proposal that the publishing guidelines seemed to want. I made lists of publishing houses that accepted manuscripts at all and which were by mail and which were by email. I never sent any by mail. It's way too much work. Um, and I started sending around, why is mommy always late? And... I did this, God, in like late summer, early fall, even before I was entirely married to this idea. Um, But then you get like a response back that says, typically we'll give you an answer in three to six months. If you don't hear from us, just assume we're not interested. And I was kind of like, Jesus, I had no idea how long this process was. But then sure enough, the rejections trickle in. It's not right for us. Good luck. Da, da, da. And many, many people rejected why is mommy always late, which I understand. I stand by that it is such a cute poem and it would be such a good book and I still might make it. But when but at a point when it's rejected over and over again, you start to second guess yourself and you start to be like, yeah, maybe I was right in my reservations, my limitations. This is probably something I can't do, but I tried it and let's move on. So. 
I was pretty bummed about that. I don't even really think I told anybody I was doing it. I um, get a few rejections more, and I'm just like, okay, here's the thing. I didn't know that publishing, like, how hard it is to get a publisher, to get a literary agent, to get somebody interested in you. I had no idea so much of the marketing was on the shoulders of the author. I had no idea that, like, unless you're, like, somebody... Or you have something pretty specific. It's it's going to be really hard to crack into this industry. And it was too hard for me to, to tell people that I was somebody. To get people interested in me. It's, it was too hard for me to sell myself in a way that was like, I can make you money by selling books. I'm not even sure I believed it at the, at the time. But I knew that my ideas were good. So then I get obsessed with self-publishing and I'm like, well, the Fault in Our Stars guy self-published and your margins are way better and I can market with my own audience and I can try to get more engaged with my li- with my followers. I didn't have a podcast at the time um, and see what happens. So I kind of start looking into this and I'm thinking about it. At the same time, I speak on a panel um, where uh, talking about, you know, my experience with Be There in Five and... Um, it was also like a networking event with curated matches. And I talked to this girl afterward who's like kind of asking me about my Etsy shop and how I got it to take off and whatever. And she's a makeup artist um, and works at a school full time, but was telling me like, you know, I really want to be an illustrator. And I was like, oh, that's funny. Like, I just talked about this panel about, you know, small business ownership and my doormat business. But like, I really want to be a children's book author. And it was just kind of this funny moment where I'm like, I've never met an illustrator. Like, I don't know. I know people that draw, but I've never met somebody that deliberately wants to be an illustrator. And I told her, like, I'm thinking about some ideas that I might self-publish, like, if you'd be interested. Um, Also, like, maybe if you pre-illustrated some concepts, like, maybe that would be more interesting to publishers. Like, I just didn't know. And I'm not a networker. I hate networking. And I never, ever make meaningful connections. And this was, like, the first time. And so we stayed in touch. I read to her wise mommy always late. A few weeks later, we met at um, Kibbutz Nest where I had my book launch party a couple weeks ago. And she thought it was cute. And like, we talked about illustration styles and she showed me her portfolio. And like, we just kind of loosely planned like, okay, let's meet back up after the holidays in January and, you know, see if we want to make this. I really wanted it to be out by Mother's Day, which was incredibly ambitious and ridiculous. But honestly, at that point, all I was reaching for was like, I just needed something almost for myself to, to like prove I was making progress in life or to do something different. Like I, I, I think I just really wanted like a tangible representation of my creativity and my skill set and something to be proud of because the state of be there in five is so like, it's so variable and it's just, it, it's never just like one thing. It's, it's always ongoing and it's always up and down. And I, and it's so hard to, to envelop my identity in it, even though I shouldn't be. And I think that something creative and something having to do with writing felt so much more like my identity. I was just very like obsessive about it. So in thinking about wanting to self-publish the other poem, um, I was trying to build more of a following on social media because it became apparent to me that I couldn't really be a writer without an audience. And I couldn't really, nobody was would take a chance on me unless like, people were more engaged. And I had just started talking about pop culture on my Instagram stories, but I didn't, I was like, was this really going to help me in life? Like, whatever. I was just doing it because it brought me joy. Um, and like, 
I felt like I was working hard at like putting content out there and being consistent and trying to do things that were funny or different or a unique perspective. But like, I just didn't feel like I was moving the needle that much. Like my followers weren't growing that fast. I wasn't making any money off of it. And I was just like, watching these influencers and these people that like made so much money and that were so popular and that I just didn't feel like we're even having to do that much. And that's the whole point is making it look easy is actually really hard. Um, but I was, I was getting frustrated with like the people on the bachelor that would just go on and, you know, make the top 10, but then get a stint on paradise, get a half million followers and then quit their job, move to LA and make a living off of fit tees. Like I just couldn't even believe this economy where I had spent four years working my ass off and I felt like I had nothing to show for it. Whereas you do like one thing on TV and you get a lot of followers, you know, you're making at least a six figure living off of it, doing truly nothing but posting photos of products. And here's the thing. It's not wrong. It's just different. I, I, I was wrestling with feeling incredibly like jealous and impressed with also very like bitter because I felt like I was working too hard for too little. And that, that's never a productive place to come from. But kind of like what I had thought about was like, what if there was like a handbook or a way for somebody to teach somebody else how the hell to do this? Like, what's the secret formula? Like, what what makes stuff pretty, but not too generic? What makes stuff funny, but not polarizing? Like, how do all these people or how are they just doing so much better than me when I feel like I'm a person that gen generally can figure stuff out? And um, I I. 99% sure I was in the shower one day or I had just gotten out of the shower because I can picture where I was. And I just, I started hearing in my head, um, darling, when you grow up, you can be whatever you want, but hopefully not a something, 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 not a this or that or the other. My love, these just won't do. Look out there even farther, past the sun, the sky, the moon. Darling, please know I understand you will be whoever you are, but why shoot for the moon when you could land among social media stars? And like, I know that sounds insane to say I heard that in my head, but like, if you ever watch Taylor Swift's making of a song, you'll hear her like playing melodies and she's like, like, you know, let's call it what you want or whatever. And I totally relate to that. And like, I hear, I don't hear melodies, but I hear like sing-songy poems and I hear some words and I hear some concepts that I almost have to write down immediately and that I can fill in later. And for some reason, I don't really write in this style. I, it, it was very like, darling, I this and sweetie, I this and honey, I this. And like every single line had like a term of endearment in it. And I just pictured this very Dorit-like mom uh, saying, darling, you know, you can be whatever you'd like, but really I'd love for you to make me a lot of money and do X, Y, and Z on social media, which other people have found success doing. Like, times have changed. We have Chris Jenner now. I just thought of this, like, mom that would say that, like this bad mother. And at first, I was like, oh, this is kind of funny. I'll use a poem like this to promote my self-published other book, Why Is Mommy Always Late? Because I was thinking if I'm going to self-publish and I need to market this, I, I would need some element of the campaign to be a little bit viral or to be a little bit meme or to be something that people can hold on to. So I was thinking like maybe I'd make a joke video about like how you know, nobody would publish me because uh, to write a children's book because I'm not a mom and you know, who's going to believe that I'm maternal? But like j jokingly be like, but I'm like super maternal. And 
And to prove it to you, I wrote a poem to show you all my best advice that I'm going to give my future daughter. And like, just kind of pretend that I was like a monster momager and give this the worst social media advice you had ever heard about like what matters in life. And it started out a lot edgier. It started out a lot deeper of a satire. It started out a smidge meaner. Um, and honestly, I, it was it was going to be like a promotional video for this other project I wanted to work on when no publisher would publish me. So I thought of that like in the shower getting ready. I stopped what I was doing. I sat on my bed and truly like and I, and I hate saying this because it's not helpful advice. A lot of times uh, things come to me in kind of downloads and it's and I just I have to get them down. And I think people everybody gets downloads, but I, I don't think everybody realizes what they are and stops to make sure they write them down because you think you're going to remember, but you won't. And like I, I just kind of started hearing the rest of the poem, like after I got down the darling, please know I understand you will be whoever you are. Um, and I just kind of was like, I think I'm looking at my um I wrote this all in Microsoft OneNote last November. And um, I wrote, social media has changed the world. Our children must be at the center. We used to worry about the Joneses, but now we have Kris Jenner. So I'll take care of you, sweet child. I'll find you a scandal. Because when you were in the womb, I registered your handle. And while I went into labor, daddy Snapchatted your delivery. Fine, maybe dead, honey, but certainly not chivalry. And then I had a bunch of lines like um, that, that were way more speaking to the type of person the mom was than being about social media. Like one of them was, as your manager, I mean, mom, seeing as what I just underwent, I carried you for almost 10 months so you can give me 10%. What's funny is that on Ellen, uh, they had Kris Jenner reading like a Kardashian like lullaby which is so weird. Um, and like, and Chrissy Teigen and John Legend are doing something and Chris uh, Jenner's playing like fairy god momager. And it's just weird. Like there's a lot of things like that are very similar to this that I've seen recently. But anyway, uh, one of the lines in Chris, children, Chris Jenner's um, Children's Lullaby on Ellen like ended with 10% just like that. And so I'm kind of glad it was a cut line. Um, but in M Mother Jergoose's office, that's a, that's, derivative of Chris Jenner's office. You can see Chloe's goose mugshot. Um, it's there's one of the signature kind of Kardashian neon signs that says 10% on the bookshelf. But anyway, so I kind of started hearing this. I wrote down a lot of it. Um, I, you know, was kind of just like then started writing down all of the things about online or influencers we could I could maybe play off of. So I'm looking at my document. I wrote down like Fit teeth, sugar bear hair, Photoshop fails, teeth whitener, hot dog legs on the beach, food pictures, fab fit fun, inspirational quotes. Like I just started The Bachelor, like all of these little things and just kind of saw where I found something that rhymed or a concept that even didn't rhyme. And then I could, you know, kind of craft a narrative out of it. And I heard like little lady, don't forget while you're posting OOTDs, you're never fully dressed without a smile emoji. And if that smile fades and you need some support when days are long, just post vague status updates till someone asks you what is wrong. Those near and dear are important, love. We're with you till the end. But some days just call for prayer hands from a random high school friend. But don't reveal too much, honey. Mystery is key to get those hearts. In real life, you may be in Tulsa, but online you're TBT St. Bart's. And actually now, um, 
I think we had to we had to merge two lines because there I had two vacation lines. It was that one, and then it was and when you vacation IRL, it's important to overshare. Is that a free drink? An upgraded seat? The clouds are pink. We care. Um, but that was a, that. Some of these were cut because they were too hard to read, not in my voice. And uh, also, I changed the TBD St. Bart's one to uh, take me back because I find that to be much more um, funny and annoying when people just want to post for posting's sake and they're like, well, what's the line now? Hold on. Sorry. It's funny because I'm reading from my OneNote and a lot of these lines are um, edited or changed, but you're hearing the raw original lyrics. Uh, oh, if you haven't left your couch for days and are in need of double taps, find a time you did something cool and then hashtag take me back. Um, yeah, I took out like kind of the vacation part specifically because I don't know. It's like I, I wanted to rag on some things, but then I'm like, I post photos of your vacation. I don't want to be like mean about everything but it's like a more funny specific targeted behavior of having nothing else to post and then saying take me back maybe i should do a patreon reading of all my deleted lines because what's funny is a lot of them were like better than what's in the book but they're either too specific they're hard to read they were they felt a little too mean or they just didn't go with the overall flow because this poem actually changed a lot by the time it came out um so anyways, this was still like the momager, Chris Jenner, or like Dorit type woman that was talking. And I've probably had about uh, 12 lines that were definite, like 24-ish that I thought had potential. It was just going to be a video. This was in uh, November. Then like holiday season happens. I kind of forget about it. Uh, self-publishing is weird because like you really it, it was going to be so much effort to navigate this industry to figure out my own distribution and like it, it's a it's a little bit tricky if you want to ever be published by a publisher to self-publish first uh because it, it's kind of complicated but the way your your books are barcoded and the way you as an author are kind of affiliated it's not a bad thing at all but like if you find success self-publishing of course you're gonna like continue to self-publish because your margins are incredible but I was worried if I didn't find success that other publishers might not take me as seriously because I couldn't even make my own book work or like I don't know I, I just had a lot of concerns about it so I wasn't like so dead set on it and like I was worried that other people weren't understanding why is mommy always late as much as I was um so a couple months pass and I don't do anything after the holidays, Tori, after networking, like we didn't really meet up because I, I don't know. I just I, I have so many. I start a million businesses and ideas a day that I never finish or never follow through with. And I this was going to be my least revenue producing, most the largest long shot. So it didn't make a ton of sense to prioritize. Um, but like January and February were horrible months. I mean, the fall was really bad, but like winter in Chicago is awful. It's it's very it's it's just it's freezing it's freezing it was my first year with a dog it was my first year still trying to kind of potty train a dog and like putting on layers 12 times a day to take my dog outside only for his paws to get too cold and for him to fall over and never go potty and then wake me up all through the night having to go potty but then again we get too cold and fall over i got him jackets i got him boots i, I tried everything it, it was like that i was like that sounds so dumb to be sleep deprived because of your dog but i don't have a yard and I, and I had to go out on these like icy city sidewalks in the middle of the night. And like, I was kind of the person that 
wasn't really providing for my family. I wasn't going to make wake Greg up and make him do it. So I was like, that was like so annoying, which I know is just like so not a real problem. Trust me. But whatever. Um, and sales are so slow during this time. I had I had nothing. I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. Um, and I was, again, applying to a bunch of corporate jobs and nobody cared or was responding. I still was like in the back of my head, like, I, I feel like all I have is like the only thing I've ever been good at is writing. And like, I just cannot shake myself of this, but I'm also not really doing anything to move it forward. So one snow day, I couldn't even like go outside. It was like blizzarding. I actually, even though Chicago winter's miserable, I'm like a great candidate for it because I don't mind being inside. And I feel like in most cases with cold, you just layer and you get in an Uber or get in your car and whatever, and you just deal with it. Like you can't complain about weather. It's weather. Um, but the only part that was killing me was the dog late at night. Um, but I don't know. It was just kind of like a cozy day inside. And sometimes when I'm feeling blue, I'll go back through my OneNote and I have tabs for everything I've ever written. And I'll write stuff I wrote. And it gives me perspective to read how I was feeling at a particular time. And it was... Uh, November, December, it's almost three months after I wrote, to give you like timing, it was three months after I wrote this unnamed poem about this momager. And I came across it and I read it again. And I was like, um, this is funny. I was like, wait, what am I like? Why am I sitting on this? This is funny. Like, this is the book like this. This is something that actually is has is meme culture it has a hook it could be seen in a gift store i haven't seen anything like it this is funny i could expand this i could make this a little meatier and i i think i could sell this and uh, just like you know abandon the thoughts of my original book like maybe this is what i need so i sit down i had like a bunch of other stuff to do that day i mean all like operational and un unexciting um but still things like that at that point as being the only person that works for my company, pretty necessary to my job's function. And um, I spend like an entire work day kind of trying to build out the story of like what this could be or what this poem means or how it could work. I write a proposal letter. I do a competitive analysis. I realize, oh, this is a parody. My other book, I couldn't really find its place, but I was like, this is like, go the F to sleep. All my friends are dead. Good night, iPad. This is a, a category of gifty books that I know I belong in, that my tone and my voice and my brand is perfect for. And um, I, well, I guess I'll just read you the letter I wrote. Um, Dear Editor, I'm seeking representation to turn my long-form po long poem into a humor parody book that jokingly teaches children about their career potential as a social media star. I'm undecided on a title. I've experimented with Oh, the Places You'll Scroll, Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, written in the social media stars, etc., to play on children's titles with stars, but would love your advice after reading the content. Da -da 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 -da. Given your experience in publishing parody books, I wanted to reach out with my idea, but more importantly, also share my experience in creating selling within the target audience of the people who would buy this book as a gift for the 99.9% .9 of Instagram users who are driven crazy by certain social media behaviors. Millennials are becoming moms, and this is their language. This is their humor. While social media stars and bloggers may seem ubiquitous on the surface, far more present are the people direct messaging their friends about them behind the scenes. 
This poem is inspired by my observations about all the things we all do on social media and the dichotomy of how seriously we take ourselves versus how ridiculous it sounds when you try to explain these things seriously to a child. The poem is narrated by from the perspective of a slightly delusional, self-unaware mom that is giving her child modern yet terrible advice, almost as if she wants to profit off of her as a momager. And then I gave like a few example couplets. I used the um, Chris Jenner one and the registered your handles, find you a scandal, delivery, chivalry, all those. Um, it's two, four, six. It's six, ten lines. I put ten lines in the cover page. And then I say who I am and I talk about my brand a little bit. And then I say, why am I telling you this? I found that people's draw to be there in five isn't about the mats or artwork I sell. It's about it being a tongue-in-cheek representation of not having to be perfect. It's an intentional tribute to one of my and their biggest flaws. People love a product that finds charm, humor, and subsequent relief in their shortcomings. They love saying things like unpopular opinion about what's theoretically popular so that they're the ones that appear self-aware, relatable, and going against the grain. So while everyone else allegedly likes these photos and videos, they're the ones sending DMs to their friends snarking about them. This book accurately mirrors the social, current social media zeitgeist, and even though the content may need to evolve as the culture does, I guarantee that anyone who follows Bachelor contestants, housewives, fitness influencers, MLM sellers, etc. will buy this for their friends. I wrote this from the angle of a new mother so it could have baby shower gifting potential or just general Mother's Day birthday stocking suffer potential to any millennial mothers. I feel like I can't go to a baby shower without seeing go the fuck to sleep, goodnight iPad, why mommy drinks, all my friends are dead, or something along those lines that borders on offensive. And those make fun of the parents directly or are parodies of existing books. My poem is making fun of other people, making it a little less risky than implying someone drinks a lot or is tech obsessed or hates that their kids won't sleep. But the best part is nobody thinks this poem is about them. It's about everyone else. And that to me adequately mirrors the way we all treat social media and that we assume our content will be well received, even though we find more often than not that other people's content is met with poor reception. I think the best thing we can do in this world of social media is to both acknowledge that while self-awareness is somewhat of a currency these days, our attempts at seeming self-aware and relatable are so often manufactured. And I think the only healthy way to address the way I and so many others use social media as a means of shameless self-promotion is to make fun of ourselves. Because let's be honest, if you can be the one that doesn't take all of this too seriously, you're the real star. Please see the next page for sample content. Okay, and keep in mind, I'm reading off my note that this is like a draft. This isn't wasn't my final letter I sent, but I f figured it would be better for you to hear what I actually wrote that day, uh, whether it's polished or not. And then I, there's a page of sample content, and what I included was, Darling, when you grow up, you can be whatever you want, but hopefully not a doctor, lawyer, or some sort of savant, not a teacher, scientist, scholar. These are for the other kids, you see. Now, nowadays, true success is doing nothing while appearing quite busy. Darling, you must know I want you to be whoever you think you are, but why reach for the moon when you can land among the Instagram stars? That's interesting. Um... I must give you some advice so your feelings you'll be able to express, but my dear, you must keep those feelings to 140 characters or less. Social media has changed the world. Our children must be at the center. We used to worry about the Joneses, but now we have Kris Jenner. I'll take care of you, sweet child. I'll find you a scandal, because while you were in the womb, I registered your handle. While I went into labor, daddy snapchatted your delivery. Fine may be dead, honey, but certainly not chivalry. Little lady, don't forget while you're posting OOTDs, you were never fully dressed without a smile emoji. And while other kids are told to play outside using less of their devices, you'll be too busy optimizing SEO 
You'll be raising your prices. And in college, kids get artsy, but babe, you'll be so equipped. Let them write scripts drinking Java while you write JavaScript. Because Darling, far more exclusive than a novel or Pulitzer Prize, is a blue check mark telling the whole world you're verified. And I don't care who you love, my love, who you bring home one day. Whether it's a hashtag WCW or a Man Crush Monday, my dream for you, my heart, is one day when you're in the real world setting. You'll be so big that advertisers will monetize your wedding. While others say less is more, my sweet, I say do the most, which is to have enough followers to start getting sponsored posts. They may tell you that it's not a career, but they'll eat their words, honey. You'll be too busy spending all that F you flat tummy tea money. Hold your head high and don't listen to any of those snobby actresses. They'll lay their head down wishing they could sell memory foam mattresses. So keep on posting about your whole 30, your cleanses, and your latest detoxes. Make your hustle harder to cancel than those monthly subscription boxes. But don't oversell, my sweet. Be mindful of how often you promote. Mix it up with bikini photos captioned with inspirational quotes. And dear Lord, please never airbrush a photo with a backdrop staircase. Those lines will wiggle more than you did before you photoshopped your waist. But darling, don't fret if life gets too tough and too honest. You'll never face adversity if you can just turn off the comments. And if all those fails, never forget your following grows much faster if you can become a self-produced villain on The Bachelor. (laughs) I said that with like one breath. So about... Uh, seven, uh, 60, 70% of those are still in the poem, but com- very, very changed, even if you can't tell. A lot of them were taken out. A lot of them I like, but didn't fit the narrative, like let them write scripts drinking Java while you write JavaScript, because that didn't go with the tone of like the mom kidding. Like that's actually like good advice. Um, so that was the sample content I sent in. I had written it three months prior i don't even think i realized that uh, i mean i'm so annoying i I think it's funny how funny it was to me at the time when i wrote it i was in a different headspace um i just felt like more than anything i wrote it was strong it flowed nicely it it had a point it had a perspective it was very surface level but it was also very deep to me and i saw like a broader darker commentary within it and um I don't know. I just felt like, uh, screw it. I'm going to send this around and see what happens. I'm going to send it to all the publishers that rejected my last one. I'm going to send it to a bunch of new ones. I'm going to look up who sells gifty stuff. I'm going to look up who sells technology-related books. And I just made this into a, polished it, made it into a PDF, emailed it to probably like 10 places. And what's weird about this, and for the full story of this, listen to my um, How I Built This Bonus episode, where I kind of have that emotional uh, reveal of my when I got the publishing deal. Um, it's like me in, in February recording, talking about, or in March, talking about recording it. Um, I'm sorry, recording it, talking about signing it. And I explain that like, on February 13th for Valentine's Day, I kind of shared this story. I was having a horrible day. I, share, I share, shared this story so I'd feel better. And you can still see it on my highlights um, on Instagram. It's a heart as uh, the title. Um, I share the story about like my business logo and how meaningful it is to me and how it's like to come to serve as the sign for my grandma. Like I always see these hanging hearts when like something's about to happen when my heart's barely hanging on. And like, I didn't even really put together that it was Valentine's Day and it was the holiday of hearts. And then on Valentine's Day was when I was snowed in and I sent out this poem and I like was, I don't know, sitting there just like begging for like a sign or something. Like I just needed something. I needed a win. I needed to feel like I was moving. I just was like so desperate for anything. And um, within 
I don't even remember now, within 24 to 48 hours. It was like so fast afterward. I got several responses, some no's, but some interested and some just wanting to talk. And I don't, that's all I needed. All I needed was someone that will get on the phone with me. And it was so crazy to have something that nobody wanted. It took three to six months to just get a no. And then to have something that people were interested in and wanted to move fast with. And when that happens, you realize, oh, my God, this is something like this is viability that professional people see. And that's when you're kind of like it it was the craziest thing to me. It was the craziest thing. And honestly, at that point, I was like, even if nothing happens from this, I'm glad that a couple people want to talk to me on the phone. I'm glad that I actually am able to have these conversations and ask questions about publishing. I'm glad that something I did someone saw even a morsel of potential in, in a commercial sense. And, um, long story, I don't want to get like too granular, but I have several phone conversations. Um, I was just like Googling everything people said on the phone. I just did a lot of research before I, uh, figured out who I thought would be the right publisher based on their kind of experience in the gift category. And, um, a couple weeks later, I was sent a contract. My brother's a lawyer. Thank God. Helped me review it. Um, there's so it's just like so weird walking into a world that I knew nothing about. And I felt like in working with an indie publisher, since I'm a small business, like I understand that grit and that work hard and paired with the legitimate know how that too often is written off by somebody who's a much bigger player. Um, I. I don't know. And so I was really excited to press forward. And, you know, you know, when you have conversations and they kind of drag out and you have questions and then there's follow up and like, it's almost so fragile that you, you don't even let yourself get excited by it. That's kind of how I felt with this. But then the day I got the contract, I sobbed. I sobbed. The fact that I had the ability to in writing to, to cement the fact that I was doing this and this was going to happen and somebody was going to let me in the door was so important and meaningful and overwhelming. And it was a sign I needed and a sign that I had begged for a few weeks prior. And I'm not saying me begging for it meant it, it, that's why it happened. But I'm saying, like I said, sometimes your breakthroughs are not until you're like on your knees. Like there's something about the purity of heart at that point when you have nothing to lose that I think makes things happen. And I don't know what made me revisit this poem on that snow day. I don't know why I suddenly felt confident about it. I, I, I can't tell you formulaically, but I can tell you that when those fleeting moments do happen, you have to harness them and you have to use them and you have to lean into them in a sense that they can change your entire life. And especially when you're in a tough place, your moods can really oscillate. But when you find yourself in a moment of clarity, really see how, try to be as productive as you can be, because that moment might really change things for you. And it really changed things for me. And I just, I could just die thinking of me not taking that chance that day and where I'd be now and not being, you know, lining up the stars in a way that could make me successful. You can't control everything, but you can set yourself up as, as much as you can for success. And at that point, I was just way too bogged down and telling myself I couldn't do this, telling myself a bunch of people had already turned it down, telling myself that I just I wasn't a, a writer of books. I was just a writer of birthday cards like I just but it wasn't true. I was making it up. I was projecting like it just wasn't true. 
And um, I sign the contract. I start working on uh, what I want the poem to like, how to make it into a story. Um, when the talk of illustrations came up, keep in mind, I didn't know Tori well, that well at this point. I didn't, hadn't really told her I was shopping another idea around because I just wanted to see if it would work. Um, I didn't tell anybody because if you tell people, they follow up with you. And then when it doesn't happen, it's embarrassing. Um, so when talking about illustrations, I had no idea what this would look like. Um, I was like, I actually know an, a really talented illustrator. She, like me, is a first time uh, illustrator. She's never done a book before, but I think she's really good. And I would love if, you know, you looked at her portfolio they sent she sent her portfolio they loved it which i knew they would and were willing to take her on as an illustrator too which i thought was so cool because for me it's like if you can give somebody else their break why not instead of using one of their experienced illustrators i'd rather go through the growing pains of us both trying to figure out this thing together um i think that makes it much a much more balanced process and it enabled like a sense of kind of community so we could lean on each other and uh, also just she's talented period and um i knew she understood me so Tori gets brought on and this whole thing becomes real. And then we're brainstorming another snowy day about, you know, what the illustrations could look like. And we talked about how we kind of saw at first I was like, I saw the cover and it just being a giant phone and the whole thing being flipping through a phone. And then I was kind of like, no, well, I, I just I didn't feel like the poem had a beginning and an end. And I didn't feel like it had a message. And I don't feel like I'm wholly sarcastic and I'm solely irreverent. Like, I'm very emotional and I'm very sentimental and I'm very uh, all about the deeper meaning of things. And I didn't feel comfortable pu 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 publishing a book that was entirely a joke. Um, and I kind of wanted it to be like... Uh, mom reading her child a bedtime story but like I, the words I had didn't really fit that arc um so anyway I'm I'm starting to experiment with like I think I want to step a little bit back from doubling down on making fun of things and more so making it about the funny things we all do online but in a way that's not mean but in a way it's still sharp and funny but like doesn't target anybody. And I want it to not just be about influencers or social media stars, but about regular people, about vague bookers, about, you know, moms that are like sign everything mom online, even though their name's next to it, about GoFundMe's, about, you know, vacation photos, like whatever it is. I just was like, there's so much material here. And I think that there's a way it can be done. And I want to change, change it up a bit, which they were totally fine with, which is awesome. And, um, when we were on the phone talking about illustrations, I kind of was like, wouldn't it? I, I just like don't even know what made me think of it. But I was like, I, what if like we made the way other children's books explain important lessons like but through if they had social media accounts, like what would it look like if Humpty Dumpty had a YouTube channel? Like what would it look like? If Mary had an Instagram, which then um, devolved into Mary had a little scam and then like. I literally got goosebumps when I thought of the nursery rhyme characters and the Tori and the editor thought it was funny. And um, then I got off the phone and like, just like word vomit type of keyboard vomit, whatever, like it came, all of these things came to me and it was like a whole other surge of energy. And through thinking through the illustrations of like, okay, 
Little Bo Peep has a GoFundMe for her lost sheep. Little Miss Muffet sells curds and whey protein. Humpty Dumpty has an epic fail YouTube fall off, uh, you know, wall vlog. Um, I knew I wanted there to be some sort of like airbrush or facetune joke. I knew I wanted there to be something funny with like somebody, you know, posting a champagne boomerang from a brunch that another character wasn't invited to. I knew I wanted Peter, Peter Pumpkin Eater to be Peter, Peter Pumpkin Spice Eater or Drinker and him just only post latte photos. Like it was kind of this moment where everything just like flowed to me and I was like so excited. And, um, so yeah, basically over the next months, I started working on how to make the poem have a beginning, middle, and end. I decided I wanted to have a twist ending and ultimately have the mom being like, you know, I'm kidding, right? This is all for fun. While we love to like, follow, and tweet, there's more to life than likes to be one. Look up at the sky, not your screen. My love, my cub, when all said and done, your best days aren't on a profile page. Forget your accounts. It's what's on the inside that counts. The best impressions to make are not paid. And I kind of start to write this ending that like, I'm writing to myself in November, in February, in before all of this kind of happened, I'm writing to myself to be like, there's so much more to who you are. Like you're, you're letting so much of how other people live and their aspirational posts and their highlight reel. You're using that as a yardstick to comparing your success or your lack of success. And it's killing you. Like, like have fun with it. Don't take it too seriously. Appreciate it for what it is. Use it for what you need it for. But at the end of the day, there's so much more to who you are. And like, that's the message I want any kid, any person in general to understand is that like, there's so much value to social media and it's really made my career. And I'm so indebted to so many aspects of it. But at the end of the day, like I said in my original letter, if you're the one that can take it for what it is and not take it too seriously, then you're the real star because you know what really matters. And I didn't want to, you know, make it seem unimportant, but I rather, I rather I wanted it to just remind people of what was important, um, but not at, you know, directly digging at social media's expense ultimately. Um, so that's why I say, you know, we love to like follow and tweet, but there's more to life than likes to be one. And the last page I wrote, so twinkle, twinkle, my little star. Well, internet fame is not too far. No matter what, you'll shine so bright like an iPhone screen late at night. I think it used to be like an iPhone screen, like an iPhone, something scrolling deep into the night. Cause that's what I always do. Anyways, it ends with, so twinkle, twinkle, social media star. There's so much more to who you are. And I dedicated the book to my parents, Jim and Colleen, for always making me feel like a star. Okay, that's emotional talking about it. Uh, but like, I didn't want the mom to be like a momager. I wanted the, the main character to be like uh, somebody who was like funny and who would like participate in a bit and like who would jokingly talk about stuff and who was sarcastic and like I don't know who would introduce their child to kind of the levity behind something that could be dark or serious and that is kind of dark and serious, but like bring it back full circle into what really matters. And like, I just think about my parents listening to my poems for 30 years, like they're like the good, the bad, the cringy, like why, like, why was I writing poems instead of playing youth soccer? Like, why did everything have to rhyme? Why did I rhyme college essays? It's incredibly risky. Uh, but like, th they never, ever thought it was stupid. They never told me it was a waste of time. And they never made me feel like anything less of a star in my own house. And that was so important to me because as a kid, you feel 
so left out and so ostracized at times for the things that make you feel different and only to become an adult and realize the the currency these days is what makes you different and I for so long just felt like all of the things I wanted to be doing all the things I like just weren't cool but like in my house they were cool and in my house they were supported and my creativity was fostered and uh, my parents made me feel smart in ways that are not traditional I felt it was okay that I didn't have straight A's and it was okay that I was bad at math, but I was brilliant at English and literature. I was I had a great memory and I was good at history. And the fact that I could construct these narratives and these words and these rhymes together, my parents just made me feel like I was brilliant. And I like, and I wasn't, but, and it wasn't, it didn't make my head too big. My real life brought me back down to earth just fine. Um, but like, I just wanted the mom in this book to end with the kid being a star just because of who they are. <laughs> and that's what my parents have always done for me. Oof, okay, sorry, I had to step away for a sec. Um, it makes me emotional just because, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I, I just think of, like, all of the twists and turns of life in recent years and, like, how... You can do all these other things for so long, but you can't like avoid who you are at your core. And like, I, it's just so telling to me how at a tough time I went back to writing and back to poetry. And like I talked about earlier about I went back home to the place in my mind and my heart that made me feel comfortable and was a safe space and was the place that I was able to create from. And I think too, in if you listen to my full How I Built This, at one point I talked about how a lot of my struggle over the years has been that I never intended to live far away from home for this long, that I wanted to go out and explore the city and, you know, marry Tyler Moore, the nation. But then, like, you know, I always figured I'd be near my friends and family. And then, you know, after college, I moved to three different cities and then I came to Chicago and then my parents left our childhood home and we moved our family to North Carolina. And then, I have had to move like every year or two since I've lived here and these past couple years with getting married and stuff and those moves like killed me and then like I, it's it's like it sounds so stupid but like in the past decade I've I've moved my house nine times and my office three times I in moving is less like just a day of thing and it takes like months to find a new place to arrange it to get packed to get unpacked like you guys know it's so it's a dumb thing to complain about but like my concept of home and stability and and where I was comfortable and where my friends were it just always has felt like compromised and I myself have spent so much time trying to get myself home trying to move home trying to figure out a way that Greg and I could live on the east coast on you know lamenting that my friends aren't living near me and having trouble making other friends and wishing I could just be around the ones I had and I've spent so long uh, blaming my location on not giving me the things I needed that this process taught me that I already had the things I needed. That home is, is less of a physical place you are and more of a feeling that I think we all seek in our hearts. 
that we need, if we can't be close to the ones we love, we need to find within ourselves. Because anywhere you live, anywhere you move, you move, we all know this. The way you feel doesn't change. You're going to feel the same way in Albuquerque that you do in Paris. Because our moods and our mindset and, and our mental health is is so far above and beyond our circumstances. Why else would somebody like a Robin Williams decide that end for themselves? A person who is f- funny and has friends and has family and has money. It, it just It's so important that we work on ourselves and that we're introspective and that we write how we feel and we re- revisit it and we revise it and we do the best we can to find our home within ourselves and stop blaming our external circumstances, stop blaming everyone else why we don't have the career we want, the relationship we want, whatever it may be. You really do have it within you to make a big change, to operate from a place that's safe because it's safe if you aren't your harshest critic anymore it's a safe space if you can stop telling yourself that you're not good enough and it it gives you that sense of peace and that sense of home if under your roof in your brain none of this matters because you know you're a star and you know you have potential and you know you're going to crush it and it may not be today or tomorrow and it may not be next year it may not be in five years but i swear the only thing between you and other people who appear to be where you want to be is effort is honest consistent effort and going a hell of a lot easier on yourself about not getting there sooner it will happen it can happen and i just want anybody who's listening to this to understand that like all of these individual steps felt thankless and horrible and pointless and were like they were leading nowhere and in retrospect, they're all so incredibly necessary. And I, I I couldn't and I wouldn't change a thing. So just make sure that like you do live with intention, but you do take care of yourself. If you don't, if you, you aren't up for it one day, give yourself a break. When you are up for it, grab it and and do more of it and make sure that you're using your time productively when you're in those modes. Because I know I'm a person that I can't force myself to feel better. I can't force myself to be in a good mood. I can't force myself to create when I'm feeling stunted. And trust me, I have my days, my moments. Like I, the I, I, this book just came out last week. I have no idea what it's going to be. I have no idea if it'll be anything. And on some days, I don't care, and I'm just proud that it existed. And on some days, like yesterday, I kind of had a bad day because I was like, I sent out all these PR boxes and nobody's sharing them. But like, I don't even know if they got delivered yet because I'm too anxious to look at the my ship station app and see if they were delivered like heather mcdonald shared it which god bless her i'm a juicy scoop listener and she is like that is so so cool for her to share it it's hard to know what's moving the needle like the biggest person ever could share it but i wouldn't know sales data so it's like i don't even know what i'm chasing and i just need to sit in and be happy with the fact that it's exists and that I'm building constellations, not going for comets, and that sometimes things take time and they don't take off immediately. I'm not Chrissy Teigen's cookbook. Like, I am small, but I do think that this has potential if it can get in the right hands and if a little bit of luck can be on my side because I feel like I've put in the work (laughs) and I feel like I've put in the talent and now I'm just hoping that the stars will align. (laughs) But to my point of all of this, I trust that even if this book isn't my hit, that it's a necessary step to get to one. And I'm praying that it will be. And if it's not, that I will be very upset, but I will still hopefully try to find the greater meaning in because I don't know how many times life can teach me that 
things are going to happen where they will and not where I will it. But it's always for the better. And how many times I just don't listen. But like this book is such a living example to me, a tangible example to me of letting things happen where they will. And that honest effort is really all that matters on a micro level to achieve a macro result like this book is to me. And I hope even though I don't listen to my own advice and life is going to keep trying to teach me that things happen for a reason. And even though I hate that because it's the dumbest buddy info quote on the planet, it really is true. And I hope that this story, if anything, teaches you to keep plugging away and that even if your first, second, third, et cetera, idea is rejected and it's not understood, it doesn't mean that it won't spur an idea for a next idea that people get immediately. It, it doesn't mean that the people who reject you at first won't come back around with a better idea. It doesn't mean that it has to define who you are or you just determine your fate. It's just one opinion of one person you cannot project on yourself as a whole. And I just want people to take from this story that last line, there's so much more to who you are. Not just relative to social media, but in general, you're more than your mistakes, you're more than your shortcomings, your failures, your neuroses, you're more than your fears, you're more than what your family and friends say to you that can't get out of your head. You are exactly who you choose to be. And if you can just for a moment actively choose to treat yourself as the person who you hope to be in 20 years and not the person you're mad at yourself for being today, you're so much better off. From now on, treat yourself like you're already a star and slowly but surely, other people will see that too. And, you know, since it wouldn't be an ending of my podcast without a, an obnoxiously cheesy borderline full house episode level tie-in of music to... The theories discussed on this podcast, I will be ending this with The Greatest Showman. I um, love this song. It's called From Now On. It, it, it explores the concept of going back home after facing adversity, and uh, I, I, it means a great deal to me. I love this song very much, and I hope you do too. And I hope the conclusion of how I built this was interesting it was helpful I don't even know it's like so hard for me to like get off these rambly soapboxes and make this anything productive or <laughs> concise um but this is who I am I guess and this is how I talk and this is how I think and I guess that I would be giving you bad advice if I just didn't let it all out you know for better or for worse for lost listeners, partial listens, and all the data I will probably look at and lament posting this, but that's okay. Please consider sparing your $14.95 to buy Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star on Amazon. It is currently the number one new release in its category. Um, I have 21 five-star reviews as of today, thanks to many of you. I'm pretty sure they're all you guys. Bless your hearts. You are so good to me, whether it's a podcast review or these book reviews. Like, my God, I'm so, so lucky to have you. And I appreciate you hearing this really long, drawn-out story where I probably came across as really annoying and, like, privileged and, like, my problems weren't very important. And now I'm, like, backtracking and thinking of all the reasons that I shouldn't post this, but I'm just going to have to. This is my truth. What can you do? <laughs> anyway, guys, um, buy my book. Leave a review. For the book on Amazon or this podcast, 
It's supposed to be sold wherever books are sold. Need to find out where it's being sold in Chicago. I'm gonna bring a mini can of champagne. In fact, I have one in my purse locked and loaded. I will sign every book in the store and I will put them all in the front window. And I very much look forward to that moment. It's those little moments that get me excited, more so than anything else. It's just uh, re those really cool moments in life you can, you know, dilute all you want, but in the end, those are the pages you dog ear. And I hope that I'm living one of those now. And if not, I'm gonna still keep writing. If you think this is the last time I'm gonna rhyme to you on my podcast, you're probably very mistaken. All right, I'm gonna go. Thanks so much for listening to this entire series. Thanks for being you. And as always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. from